so what happens when a DBA walks into a NoSQL restaurant? A DBA walks into a NoSQL restaurant. I guess he can't find a table. That's right. He leaves because there's no tables. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my nerd. You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 17. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head over to www.codingblocks.net and you can find all the social links at the top of the page. And with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. And uh, today we are talking a little bit about switching stacks. First, let's talk about some reviews that we just recently got in iTunes. Uh, Or didn't. Uh Uh-huh. Or didn't. Or d- oh, yeah. Let's talk about the one that we didn't. <laughs> yeah, we're calling you out, Pascal Coder. Because <laughs> we've been, or me specifically, I've been called out several times. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's what it is. is it, this it could is, have been a joke. This is for when your your famous link article comes out, then that's when the review comes <laughs> right. out. Is that what it is? We're being held a hostage now for a review? <laughs> that's right. That's awesome. So, but, uh, but if that's truly what happened here, that is beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, so Pascal Coulter uh, told us that he wrote his review, but I still don't see it. And it was a, a sparkling diamond. So I'm really looking forward to this review, Pascal. Uh, so <laughs> we would love to see that. Um, I'm sure it's just in like, you know, like a pending status or something like that. Just but like I'm Alan's looking forward article. to it. That's right. Man, whatever. <laughs> All right. So, so I've heard a little bit of... Uh, of uh, speculation about what this might be so uh but we also got some reviews from trl 579 uh this this was a glowing review this has become one of my favorite podcasts uh most podcasts are either news-based or basically lectures coding blocks strikes a great balance between genuinely fun to listen to and and technical enough that i get information i can actually use that's fantastic we also got another one from benjamin doctor and he says a podcast about actually writing code so um, and he goes on also with another great review. So we appreciate those. If you guys don't mind, definitely take time out to uh, to leave that. I mean, we, we seriously get excited. We're like little kids about this when we see these roll in. So, you know, definitely keep those rolling our way. Yeah, if you haven't heard us ask enough to uh, leave us a review, we, we really do appreciate it. And it really does go a long way to help other people find the show as well. But along that note, though, I do want to say that if you haven't already, find two friends that listen to podcasts that you think would be interested in the show, or even if you don't, you know what, if they don't, then that'd be even more interesting for you, but recommend the show to them. Yeah. And even if they don't listen to podcasts, make them (laughs) right. Uh, I mean, we're not above that. So, uh, uh, another thing. So, uh, there were some more security breaches this week. And while this really has nothing to do with programming specifically for us, although we well, could not this week, they not weren't. this week, like we could absolutely come back in the future with like good programming practices to secure your information and all that. But uh, Joe, you found a site. Yep, um, this is actually uh, done by Troy Hunt, who we've mentioned a few times. He's got a great site, HaveIBeenPwned.com, where you can type in your email address, your username, and it searches through like a catalog of past breaches and pace and kind of sees if you've um, been pasted somewhere. Yeah, so definitely go check it out. And they also Bonus question. Which which cloud service is it on? Oh, he's definitely an Azure guy. Ah, uh, see? 
I wasn't sure if you were gonna get that one. Yeah, in fact, he made the greatest Azure video ever. I forget what it was called, but it actually had the greatest video ever in the title. I think, that, yeah, that was the name of it. <laughs> it was on. It was a, like a training video on how to use it for a call. It's been yeah. a while since I've seen that one. Oh, but yeah, that that is definitely an Azure site. You have the world's greatest Azure demo, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Beautiful. And then another thing that so I, apparently I've spent a lot of time recently on the interwebs. And I found a fantastic engineering blog, which comes from Instagram. They are very open about sharing their technological challenges that they've faced when trying to grow and scale their operations. And they had this one article that I thought was just killer. And this is from two years ago, but they've also had newer ones uh, that I was reading through as well. And believe it or not, while NoSQL is all the rage and the hype nowadays... They're still using a regular old RDBMS, which is PostgreSQL. And I just found that extremely interesting because they talk about their thoughts about they were considering going to NoSQL, and they give the whole idea and the reasons behind why they stuck with a typical relational database. So we'll have a link there. But just as a side note, if you are looking or facing challenging things, these engineering blogs, like Netflix has one. Oh, so I was about to say, I love that the the company blogs like this. Yes. Um, big fan. Yeah. Love them. You seriously, you can get worlds of knowledge that you can only experience typically firsthand if you're thrown in the middle of this stuff. You can get like serious amounts of knowledge on just how, how the kinds of challenges you face when dealing with scaling issues. Well, I mean, you brought up Netflix. Specifically, Netflix has been a wealth of information in their AWS implementation. Yeah, so cloud services and all that. I mean, you if you guys haven't been out there and found some of these engineering blogs out there, it is definitely worth a chance. And we'll have links to both the Instagram and the and the Netflix ones in the show notes, but seriously great information there. Also, the uh, high scale, a uh, high scalability blog. Easy for has you to say. Great information uh, and then some very similar type of stuff. They go out and talk to different companies about their architectures. Excellent. Um, and then there was another article I came across that uh, the MS Dev Show actually did a good job of going over this. I had tweeted this out, which is just another reason to get on our Twitter account because we're always putting great little nuggets out there. But uh, with the breaches that we men- mentioned just a minute ago with the Have I Been uh, there are best practices for storing passwords in a database. And I, I found this article, and seriously, they've got code examples for Rails, .NET, PHP, like a lot of, of the major programming languages. And what it boils down to is simple. You shouldn't be trying to create your own crazy, wacky way of, of hashing these things or anything. So we'll leave a link in the show notes for this as well. But hopefully that will make your stuff more secure so you don't end up on one of these uh, haveibeenpwned.com you know, lists. Yep. And finally, I wanted to mention a video I just saw on YouTube. Uh, over here in the States, uh, Halloween is coming up, which is kind of like a scary holiday. And I saw a, a link to a video called The Most Epic Halloween. Um, what's the F word that for? Um, oh, should I say it? <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, I can't remember. Like, what's it? It's not folly. The prank. Prank is the word that I was doesn't start for. with an F. I was all excited. I was getting ready to say Frank. it. I don't know what I was thinking. The, the Frank. <laughs> well, this is a, a weird turnabout, but um, yeah. So the most epic Halloween prank. prank. And normally I stay away from pranks, and I stay away from <laughs> the most uh, epic Halloween like prank. That. Is a totally different video. Very different. Don't click Unbelievable. that. Unbelievable. But you guys have to see this. So this guy, he. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> he attaches like a grim reaper um halloween toy to a like a quadricopter that's it's up 150 toy. feet higher and he flies this thing around and scares the heck out of joggers and bicyclers it's, i'm sure it's not very nice or uh it's not very safe but it's hilarious you've got to see this a friendly guy. grim reaper <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw the guy fall off his bike, so uh, <laughs> no, that wasn't uh, very. Well, that's friendly. his fault. <laughs> yeah, definitely check it out. That was that was an entertaining one. It says it starts off with this thing flying around a graveyard, and you're like, "What the heck?" And then when he starts, you know, flying it down on soccer fields, and just go watch the video. Yeah, excellent stuff. In this one, I basically have been toying with the idea of creating some software as a service, and with that. I've programmed in a ton of different languages, as have we all. Mostly JavaScript. Mm, nah. <laughs> it, it, that just happens to be one of my favorites. I'm just teasing. So now here's 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 my question. If you guys were going to go create something that you were going to try and sell as a service to other companies, right, or to other people or whatever, have you ever sat down and thought about the technology stack you would use? You know, it's hard because I do a lot of C-sharp, and I, I definitely favor that kind of environment and that tech stack. But when I think about selling something, either if it's software as a service, I know it's cheaper to go Linux, or if it's something I want people to install you know, on their side, I've never heard someone say, oh, no, we're a Windows-only shop. But I have heard people say, oh, yeah, Linux-only. Yeah, and that's so that's kind of one of my frustrations. I love .NET. I love programming in C-sharp. But when I when I look at what would be most cost effective, to at least get so, one of, going into my thought process on this, like one of my frustrations with Xamarin was, okay, you want to get started on Xamarin, you got to pony up up front before you've ever gotten an idea even into any kind of shape that you could ever do anything with it. You've come out of pocket major. Well, and, in all fairness, though, I mean, there is the free version, but to your you point, can't though, do much you can't, you're limited in the size, the compile size for it. So, it, so there's a limitation there. So when I look at things like that, I start going, okay, so if I go Windows based and I'm footing the bill for this thing myself, then I'm going to be paying out of pocket a decent amount. Now, Azure's definitely helped out with that. Like you can get, you can get hosting for what, like 10 bucks a month, but, but there is that cost up front, which isn't a lot. Well, but, if you're an MSDM subscriber, you get Azure Hours already. And now you're talking about some serious. Yeah, books. I was gonna say if you're an MSDN subscriber, you've already put in what a couple thousand. I don't, I don't know how much it is now. No, MSDN subscription, you can get it at the like the pro level, like not a renewal, but like first time buyer. I want to say that's like twelve, thirteen hundred. Okay, like so thirteen hundred bucks. So you've already ponied up a decent amount, right? And another thousand for Xamarin. But I mean, come on, if you're a .NET developer, yeah, two fifty yeah. for Resharper. Yeah, I, it, look, and that's the whole thing, right? Like, you, you get into some expenses there. My point again, is, like, you've already paid some expense if you're a .NET developer. Usually, usually. But a lot of people just, they do it at work, and that's what they, you know, they're not doing it on the side. So so with that, like, I started thinking about, all right, so let's say that I want to build something. Like, a huge platform out there is WordPress, right? I don't want to create anything in PHP at all. Ever, <laughs> not not that I'm hating on people who Man. do this stuff. I just I thought don't. we hated on JavaScript. Yeah, <laughs> we're about to open up a PHP bag of whoop ass. I mean, but like, so seriously, do you guys ever sit down and say, "Man, I just really want to bang out some PHP code today"? Uh, no, well, I don't quite word it that way. I definitely, you know, I've got a WordPress <laughs> blog. You know, we use WordPress too. It's definitely, you know, convenient. But man, I don't know. Did you hear PHP skipped version six? By the way, I think that's hilarious. 
Did they really? <laughs> yeah, they went, they're going from five to seven. And the deal is, you know, six was going to come out, and it kept getting bigger and bigger, delayed and delayed. But books came out for version six, and it was never actually officially released. And now they're kind of like, you know what? Six is just a mess. We're going to pull back, change things, and we're going to go with seven. That's and insane. They couldn't really go with six because they had all this, you know, published media out that was going to be invalid and wrong. What, and so what like, is it you know with what? version six? Hop in the of number. Things. Yeah, Pearl Six, man. Oh my God, what a train wreck. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it sounds like it was the right decision. I, you know, I listened to the, the three devs and maybe podcast, and they talked a lot about it. And so, you know, it makes sense, but it's just kind of you know a little snicker snicker. Yeah, it's that's ridiculous. But so so. If you were going to sit down and do this, let's talk the the eventually you want to scale, right? So we've talked about So we're talking some kind of cloud platform. Potentially. Yeah. I mean they I mean actually that's probably a given at some point. Maybe not starting out, but eventually, yes. So we all know that when you do a a central database server, that's kind of your bottleneck. That's that's where it starts and it ends, typically. Now I know MySQL has sharding and some if other if you use a database. So, and mm-hmm. that's, and we're going to get into that in a minute. You're probably going to. If you want users and, you know, keeping track of billing, it, even it's just for your own stuff, unless you're going to be like running QuickBooks, then you're so, going to have a database. So, so let's talk about the database part first, because that's really where you're going to start. Because the language kind of stuff, yeah, you can throw whatever you want on top of whatever your data storage is. Dude, I have done so much reading now on NoSQL databases, which I also found out meant not only SQL. I didn't even know that. I just thought it was NoSQL. So... <laughs> Um, you started to weep because you're like, oh, there's SQL that I yeah, love. I like, I like SQL. I, I'm a fan of SQL. But with that, so you start looking at, obviously, MySQL is extremely popular. They have what's called sharding. I've heard that that's not exactly fun to deal with. And and I, I come from basically a background where I've done a lot of relational you know, schemas and that kind of thing. So I really understand that. I start reading this NoSQL stuff, and they're like, yeah, denormalize everything and throw it in there. Mm-hmm. And that just hurts my head. Like, it feels so very wrong. But then I started reading. That's not like a uh, MySQL-specific, though. No, I didn't say MySQL. Oh, oh, no, that's what I said. I know MySQL has it. So I'm talking about uh, oh, inexpensive options. I thought, I thought, okay. Inexpensive options. That's how they can scale horizontally. So if you just, like, I guess in the past, like SQL Server, you just stand up a SQL Server box and just throw more hardware at it, typically, right? I know they have scaling options, but that's usually what's done with it. So that's when I started looking at, all right, no SQL options out there, Cassandra, Mongo, Couch, all these things, right? There's so many of them, right? And you could probably make the same argument from RDBMS systems, but there's there's a handful that most people talk about, right? You have Oracle, SQL Server, MySQL and Postgres. Those are usually the big ones that come up. So now you get into NoSQL, which is all about scaling, right? I mean, everything about that is about being able to scale horizontally, fast reads, fast writes. So then what do you do? Like, how do you make a decision on what you're going to do? So I've read some things where, like, if you take a Facebook type application where you have where you have threaded conversations, right? The way that you do this in NoSQL is you store it all in one record. That's that's kind of the whole idea. But then you run into things like, I think MongoDB has, a, what, a 16 megabyte limit on the row limit? Yeah, it does have a, a rather small limitation. So now you can't really throw an entire threaded conversation on something like a social application if you're going to do it. Wait, you run 16 out of megs, you said? 16 megs. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a lot. Uh, not if you get a popular thread. Yeah. Depends on your use case. 
Yeah. So, it, but then, but then I struggled with the whole idea. Okay. So now, what if you have things that truly are relational? Because from what I understand, well, but hold on though, because like uh, just to go back a little bit, because one thing that's also done too in your example though, where you say like the whole conversation is in one thread, there's also like duplication of data too. Right. And to so get, maintaining that to, to get that. around the because there is no uh, referential integrity, there's no like schema there. You just say, okay, well, I need it over here, so here's a copy. And I also need it over there. There's a copy. Yep. And and so that runs in all kinds of problems as well because they say that okay, now once you do that, you, let's say that you've broken this apart into three different tables because you're. They say that when you create your no SQL tables, essentially what you're doing. I don't think anyone says it like that. But what do they call them? <laughs> no SQL. What do they call them? They're not tables. My document database. Do, yeah, something. But when you when you create these different storage areas, right? The way that you have to think about this, instead of thinking about relational terms, you have to think about how you're going to query this up front, and then that's how you're going to store your data. You're not you're not creating your relationships. You are creating. This is how I'm going to pull this data back, and I'm going to do it to where I can call this the quickest possible way. But then, like you said. You have three three copies of this. Something changes in that thread. You have to update every one of those documents that's stored. So it becomes a bit of a maintenance problem from there, especially if you don't have tools to do it. And it's weird, too, if you like add, you know, it's essentially a column or something, then your code has to deal with these older records that don't have that column, yep. or else you need to kind of do some sort of data job. But either way, you're looking at dealing with this stuff. And so it, after a while, I think you'd end up with this kind of history of your you know, your persistence layer uh, littered throughout your source code, which is a little gross, but maybe there's, you know, like well-defined practices for getting around that problem, but definitely, you know, messes with my head. Yeah, I'm not real certain. So I guess like one of the articles I wrote a while back was, you know, thinking about a schema of doing products with attributes. A no SQL storage solution seems perfect for that, right? Because I even brought up, you know, motherboards change the type of specs they have. You know, right now they have USB 3 ports. Well, one might have a Thunderbolt port. One might have this, that, whatever. That seems like the perfect opportunity to use something that's schemaless, right? Which is the, the huge thing behind that. So now you get something out. Maybe you have a template in your code that says, hey, if it's this type, then display this kind of page. So that seems like a beautiful solution for that. But then I started also thinking about, well, can't these two things live together? So you have situations where you need high availability, right? Maybe it's a product catalog. Maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, threaded conversations like a social network. But in that threaded conversation, it's basically got like, I don't know, it, we're, li we're looking at like JSON objects, right? So simple structured objects. Maybe it has a, a username in that object. Well, why couldn't that be stored in a database like MySQL that literally says, okay, you need information about this person instead of storing it all in line in that one record in your application itself, it sees that username and it then goes queries a database to get that information or maybe another NoSQL table. I don't know, but it just seems like NoSQL has gotten a lot of popularity because of its scalability but it's not perfect for every solution, just like SQL Server is not perfect or, or a SQL database isn't perfect for every solution. So so that was one of the first, like, I mean, what, what would you guys say? Like, where would you start? Well, are you doing the project to learn or to, to make some money? Well, see, that's, that's always the problem, right? Like when you start a project is you're like, okay, I'm going to make some money, but I also want to learn along the way. 
I would say that if I was going to actually seriously sit down and write a project, I'd want it to make money. Now, with that, I would basically say, screw it all. I'm going to do it in C Sharp and SQL Server because I can do it fast because I know it all. Or I know how to, I don't know it all, but you know, hey. I, I, I know how, I know I can quickly get up and running with yeah, it. Yeah, you've just eliminated many, many hours of speed bumps and hassle and doing things wrong. Correct. I mean, there's something to be said, though, about putting the proof of concept together. So in the case of, you know, doing, using the tools that you know, uh, you know, and, and then maybe afterwards exploring like, okay, how would I actually want to do this at a grander scale? You know, there, there's a lot to be said about just putting the proof of concept together. You know, I like that a lot. You know, I, I've heard a lot about Twitter and their big refactoring and how they started out as Ruby and they kind of brought in some Scala parts and some other things and kind of refactored. And, you know, if they had started off trying to build this big, whatever, giant, gigantic system that they've got now for the day one of the launch, you know, they never would have launched. It's, it's a bunch of systems, it's, you know, really highly scalable and, you know, highly available. And if they had that to try to build that on day one, then they just never would have finished and never would have launched. So, you know, they built it scrappy and, you know, and got the job done, got the MVP out there. And, you know, then they took the time to kind of break it apart later. So you don't want to do too much kind of planning ahead of time or else you're just never going to get out the door. That's that's actually a very valid point. And, and for anyone who's not familiar with that term, as he uh, used MVP, the minimal viable product. Yep. It came from Lean, uh, was a Lean startup, Eric Rees. I don't know if I that's where it came from, but it's a great book. We'll have a link. But but I do want to say though, like because you brought up Ruby as an example language. Like, am I the only one that ever thinks of Ruby Soho every single hmm. time somebody talks about Ruby? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should include a, a link in the show notes. Yeah, you know, I've seen Rancid uh, a few times actually, and the, he actually holds his tongue when he sings. <laughs> <laughs> yep, little known uh, trivia fact for you wow awesome so but speaking of ruby so that was one of the things that that has kind of come up in my search simply because so uh outlaw turned me onto a podcast called hurting code and they interviewed the guy from player.fm oh that's a great episode it was too. a fantastic have you, have you episode. heard that one yeah it was really good <laughs> oh it was an excellent episode so I mean, he talks about what he uses behind the scenes and what his whole goal of the project was, and he uses Ruby. And the thing that got me, and and maybe this can be done in .NET, I, I don't right off the top of my head know how you could do it, but basically any of his URLs you go to, so like you go on a site and you search for our podcast, codingblocks.net, right? It's going to pull up our page. If you're on that page, you can put a .json at the end of that URL, and it'll bring you up a, a JSON like API. Like you actually can get data back and you can use that in an application somewhere. And because Ruby is a little bit more loosey goosey and not so, so, um, you know, strict on its typing and all that kind of stuff, you can do some really cool stuff with it. Yeah. And I think he mentioned, uh, he mentioned like being able to kind of filter these things and kind of combine different feeds into other things and, and being able to do that with the language because, you know, Ruby would just kind of take it in. It's got the duck typing thing going on. So it's like, Hey, if there's a method there, I'm going to try and call it and see what happens. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And when you're dealing with things on the web and you want to make things available in different formats and all that, it's really kind of cool to be able to do that kind of stuff. So I've never really looked into Ruby heavily, but 
it, it was definitely something that I thought about. And then the other thing, and of course you guys are going to be on the hater wagon here, was I was also thinking about Node.js. Node.js, server side. <laughs> I mean, there, I've looked up benchmarks left and right. It seems to smoke almost everything out there. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, is, it is so lightweight. It is so fast. It's free. Throw it up on a Linux box and do its thing. I mean... There's a lot to be said for that, and it's supposedly it's very simple to program for too. It's also the new hotness, so there's a lot of kind of cool new activity, like all the, you know, a lot of the new innovations that are coming out, and you know, all sorts of different things, uh, you know, less and SAS and whatever. A lot of these things are coming coming out built around Node, and so that's a good investment of time, I'd say. Yeah, so I I don't know. It's one of those things. I think I think what you said with the uh, with sticking with what you know for getting getting something up and running is definitely good advice yeah and you got a big leg up on javascript already and you know javascript doing the node thing is also you know it's going to you know sharpen those tools that you're going to use for just kind of normal web development type stuff on the client side anyway yeah that's that's really interesting i mean like if you're going to start up with something i mean you've got your color mine thing which you did in net you did in c sharp right it'd be so nice if i did it in javascript then i could just host it on s3 and uh you know i could pay pennies a month instead of three dollars a month s3 on top of cloud or with cloud on go. top of it, right even cheaper yeah and you can't beat the speed it'd be yeah it'd just be awesome yeah, well, I'm talking about pure client uh, javascript there but i really don't need a server it doesn't talk to a database it doesn't talk to the file system why don't i do it client side yeah why don't you I don't like JavaScript. <laughs> I like static languages. I promise I wasn't trying to set that up. Wait, but didn't you didn't you use Bootstrap? No, you didn't with Color Mine. I, did, I did. I did use Bootstrap. Yeah, I love Bootstrap, and I love. Um, I did um, Backbone. Is probably what we're thinking. Okay. I used Backbone, but it uh, quickly devolved into jQuery, just kind of standard <laughs> stuff. It was like I just didn't follow the patterns. I got frustrated trying to kind of do things their way and just kind of hacked it in there. So I really need to redo Color Mine, and I probably want to do with something like Angular for the front end. Interesting. All right, what about you, Outlaw? What would you do it in? C-sharp? I mean, like I said, at least for the, the minimal viral product, I would at least put together the proof of concept and see, like, once I got it together, see like, okay, do I really think this has legs now that I actually see it in action and everything? Before before I spent too much time in investing in to like different architectures and you know, whether that be uh, languages or databases or, or whatever, you know, I yeah, I, I would just stick with the stick with .NET for the you know, just for the simplicity of it. Yeah, now that I've actually been working in Java a little bit more. I have a real appreciation for how easy it is to do some things in .NET. And honestly, I think most of it boils down to Visual Studio. Like yeah. the fact that that it does all your build files and everything for you underneath underneath the scenes and and it's it's really a love relationship. There's not much hate there for Visual Studio for me. Because I I've actually found that Java is actually further along in its development. Like Spring is pretty amazing. There's a lot of stuff it can do, but it still blows my mind that it feels like things are so broken apart in Java compared to developing in like oh. in .NET. You know what well, I'm saying? Yeah. So um, yeah, because because there's not like it's not like one tool to rule them all. Right. Right. So so in the in the .NET community, you know, you have Visual Studio. And I guarantee you, few people are doing their builds by command line. Yeah, and it's 
you know, I guess one of my frustrating things though is even when you do use something like IntelliJ, like the, the JetBrains product for Java, people are like, oh, don't do the builds inside the IDE. And I'm like, why would they even include it in there? If, if they didn't, well, yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're doing though. I mean, like, I, yeah, I, I definitely have done my, my share of Gradle builds by command line. Right. Just because I found it easier to do it, you know, separate. And that's what I'm saying. Like it, it's, it's almost purpose, like though. in the Java, in the Java community, they're like, oh no, no, no you don't want to use an IDE for but, anything. But, and I kind of get it because in the Java community, people are using a ton of different IDEs. It's not like in C sharp or .NET, visual basic, whatever. You're using Visual Studio. Like you said, you got web matrix out there, but is anybody actually coding in well, web matrix? Well, but this is what I mean. Like when you asked the, the question about like which stack would I pick and whatnot, um, you know, like I think we've talked about this before that I, I prefer the, the typed languages, like the, the scripty type languages, you know, I, there's some of them you know, that I like more than the others. But in general, I really just like languages like your c sharp your java c c plus plus objective c like those type of languages i don't know why but i've always been more drawn to them but even though out of all of those in your example i would just hands down i would just do it in c sharp because like it's easy and if you're only trying to do proof of concept you know and and you know something well and it's you know it and Whatever that easiest one might be for you. Like, I'm not saying that Java isn't easy per se. I just find it based for exactly the reasons you were describing. I find the .NET environment to be easier to work with, especially if I'm just trying to throw something together quickly. Yeah, and I think part of it also boils down to just, you know, what we've done over the years, right? Like, IIS is so easy to me now. And, and setting up things is usually extremely easy for me with .NET. And, and part of it might just be because that's what I'm used to, right? But Java... I really wish there were other options than IIS to, for .NET. Well, there, what is it? the next version of it is supposed to be based off Node or something, right? Like, they, there's been talk. And I don't remember. I'll have to see if I can find it in, in some notes somewhere. But they're, they're talking about having a web server that's very similar to that. Oh, Tomcat's really nice. I like this whole kind of deploying containers and you just kind of, you know, there's a whole ecosystem built around that. And it, it seems to work really great to me, but. I've had problems with it just because depending on how I do my builds, there's dependencies missing and I don't ever get any like major, hey, you have dependencies missing. Just when right. I call a particular page, it fails. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. Why did that fail? Yep. So I don't know. It's, I think, again, I'm just not as familiar with the frameworks, but. Now, I think if I'm developing a product, I don't want to spend my time getting tangled up between, you know, Maven and Gradle and switching that stuff around and researching. Like, I just want to kind of focus on what I'm doing, at least until it gets kind of off the ground and make sure it's the idea is validated. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. So at what point do you take cost into effect, right? Like, so, all right, let's say that you get, you get along the ways a bit. And let's say you get some customers signed up at that point, right? Now you're vested. You've got you've got I don't know how many lines of code in in C sharp, and now you start having to take costs into effect or into account for what you're going to do. Do you start refactoring or do you just say I oh, screw it? I'm in .NET now, which is probably probably what you would end up doing. That's what I would do. Yeah. Well, that's why I was saying like you know, you want to walk the fine line of like if it's just a proof of concept. If you're just trying to flesh out the idea. 
Yeah. You and know, you know, when, it, when you got to recognize that time when it's like, okay, it's time to move on to, you know, I think this has some legs to it. Let me throw together the grand architecture. And this is where I think that that might be. But none of us as developers like redoing work, right? Right. So I, you know, but really, I'm not that scared of like C sharp and Windows. I am scared of SQL Server SQL Server licensing, though. Absolutely. Oh, so that insane. is something that I definitely steer clear of. All the more reason, though, like to my point, though, like if you're just putting something together for proof of concept. Yeah. No, but when I said redo work, so let's say that you did put together a proof of concept, you're gonna have to recode it in some other language. If that's oh, what I you see, got. I see what you're saying. Too. I don't like well, redoing too, anything. It, okay. So so to that point, though, I guess it would also depend on like how big it was going to be, too. Right. Because, like, okay, again, going back to minimal viable product, right, the whole point is you're not trying to grow something out. You're just trying to see, like, does this thing provide value? Does it have legs to it? And if it does, then go from there. So, I mean, you wouldn't implement the entirety of it in in that language, but you might just try it out for, you know, try out some little bitty pieces of it here and there and, and then go from there. So, yeah, it, I mean, going back to your Xamarin example, this is exactly like why... You know, there's some ideas that I've been uh, toying around with, and I'm like, I've done Objective C, I can do Objective Z again. I just don't wanna. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Well, I mean, I, I, so the Xamarin thing really frustrates me because that's cost up front. At least if you're doing .NET, like you said, you probably already have your developer tools. You can just create the stuff. But, but Xamarin is actually really frustrating to me because I would like to use it and I, I would like to make some things, but I don't want to pony up for something that I may not get around to finishing for nine months. You know what I'm saying? And you know, Expo is coming out pretty soon. They're, they're a big Xamarin um, Yeah, Xamarin convention. Evolve. Yeah, uh, in October. Yeah, sorry. Yep. So uh, I heard, uh, uh, I think it was on, I forget which podcast it was, but uh, had an um, interview with somebody and they were talking about maybe some pricing changes around Xamarin forms and some other things. And so uh, I don't know. There were a couple of hints. Well, yeah. There was something. I mean, that, that's a, that, that whole conference brings up a whole different uh, type of conversation. Like, you know, if you're an independent consultant, at what point do you say, like, okay, this is worthwhile going to or. Right, because you're going to pony up putting, some cash for it, right? Not not to derail the current conversation, but... No, I would love to do that. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, I'm I'm really interested in Xamarin, but I'm not going to take X days off work and pay up, you know, that much money. It's just not worth it to me. Yeah, so, that's, exa- that's exactly hmm. the, the situation that I'm in. Is that And it's not just a little bit not worth it. It's like it's way expensive. not worth yeah, it for it's me. It's more yeah. than the cost of the license. There's yeah. the opportunity cost of the money that I'm not going to make because I'm I'm taking personal time to go to this and then there's the the actual cost of the event itself and then when you combine those two together like oh that i could have bought you know some licenses myself and just been done yeah that's and that's one of the frustrating things like i think uh, i mentioned to you at one point corona sdk they had an interesting take on it at least back when i looked at it it's been a while now but with that you could literally download the code and start programming yeah. If you want to deploy it to anything other than running it on emulators, then you have to put up some money. Right. But I love that model. And, well, and, and to be fair, though, I don't mean to pick on Xamarin. Like, right, even right. like for the build conference or WWDC, like there have been plenty of conferences where I'm They're like, expensive. Oh, man, I want to go to Yeah, that. I want to go to all of those. Yeah. There's plenty. Like, I know we pick on JavaScript, you know, but it's all in, in with love because there have been plenty of JavaScript ones. I'm like, oh, I want to go. I want to go so bad. But yeah, I mean, there's always that thing, but it, it's definitely easier. Like, so that's one of my things. If you have an idea that you want to program and, and you want to do it in Xamarin, you got to pony up a decent amount of money just to even get started. 
Whereas something like Corona, let's say you have a game idea and you want to do you want to do some development, you can download their SDK. You can get to work. If you ever want to do anything with it, though, you have to pay for the license, which is beautiful. I mean, like that that makes a lot of sense. So if it's something that you're doing on the nights and the weekends, and it's it takes you four or five months to get there before you can deploy, but you know that you've got this thing that you can keep working on. Whereas something like with Xamarin. And again, I'm not trying to pick on Xamarin, but it's one of the things that's kept me out of it so far is, you know, you're paying $75 a month for something that, you know, you got, you got kids, you got, you got a wife. It's really hard to sit aside and be like, no, no, don't talk to me for this weekend or then, or next weekend I'm coding. Cause you know, I'm paying for this license and I want to get this stuff together. So yeah, I don't there, know. There's a lot of tools that are just cost prohibitive. They really are. And it's frustrating because I wish there was. I wish there was a way to where they could make it available in a way that would not, that would not vulture sales from themselves. Right. Like if they were able Mm. to provide it and, and get people interested in it, get that hook in them. And then somebody's vested. Like I said, you get, you get down that road a little ways and, and you've actually got something that you're ready to do something with. Now they get their money somehow. It is kind of interesting though, and I know I'm again derailing it, but if you compare, let's say the Microsoft environment, a dev environment, to um, an Android or uh, Java Linux dev environment or OS 10 dev environment, you know, you can get onto those other environments for much cheaper cost now i do know that microsoft does have a you know some free editions of visual studio so i'm not discounting that but you had to immediately pay for your license of windows period yep so you already had a cost there uh you know even if you did get the free version of studio but you know you probably had some other costs like in, in, uh, i'm trying to think resharper and depend <laughs> yeah well, I mean, so there, there's you can't the, even use those the with the free versions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, oh yeah, that's you can't awesome. do a plug. You can't even do source control with the free ones. You can't. You can't even even uh, the testing. You would be st- stuck to using MS Test as your test runner uh, in the free versions. Or you run end unit outside. Well, okay. Or you run end unit completely outside. Uh, which oh wait, yeah. I'm sorry. No one does that. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, uh, yeah, that would just be painful. I mean, it, it, the whole thing is it's weird as a developer. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time, but it's really weird when you start something up because, yeah, you do want to learn, right? Like you you want to touch some new technologies and all that kind of stuff. But then, but then you sit back and you're like, God. So there's a cost involved and then there's a time involved. Well, I guess where I was going with that just to finish my thought was that in in that Microsoft world if you did want to use the free versions you're crippled in like capability yeah you right are. whereas you can get into other dev environments with at, at a fraction to no cost and there's no limitation yeah there's right yeah, you're, so you're, you can get eclipse open, right? right it may not be you can everybody's get eclipse, favorite you can get the spring tool suite yeah uh you know you can get xcode you know th- there are other platforms that you could develop for at low cost. So, so going back to your original question as to like which one you want to use, you know, cost can be a significant factor as to which one you might choose, especially for personal use. Yeah. And that's, that's really what it boils down to is when you're looking at doing a project on your own, 
it, like there's so many factors that come into play. Your knowledge of what you can do and do quickly is definitely a big one. But then you start looking at what's this going to cost? Like you said, SQL Server. I, by no means do I want to have to There's try. There's a free version of SQL Server for dev purposes, too. That will go up to so many. And you I, can't deploy it. So you're limiting yourself a little bit. Again, this is where, this is, you know, back to the, we're going full circle, you know, MVP. previous conversation. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, the, the, you're limited in the capabilities of some of the free versions, which is kind of weird. You, you would, I guess, maybe, maybe Apple could be credited with it because it seems that this, or no, maybe it'd be more fair to, to credit it to Java. Um, but it seems that there's been this revolution or evolution of the, the environments where the, the idea is let's just bring as many developers to it. We'll just throw the tools out there. We don't care. Yep. Right. We, we just want you to develop for our platforms. Right. And Apple definitely embraced that, uh, with, with, you know, once they started producing APIs for iPhone and, and allowing develop for it, they went in, you know, full force with it, and it's proven to be quite successful for them. And if, the weird thing is, from the Microsoft point of view, is you know, going back to their roots. I mean, they started out as the company for developers, right? I mean, that's that was developers were their bread and butter, right? I mean, Steve Ballmer, right? Developers, developers, developers. You know, and and it seems like now, it's it's unfortunate that if you really wanted to get, you know, some of, some of these tools, how much money you got to come out of pocket for just to develop for Microsoft platforms when you really think that they're ultimately going to benefit from that. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, heck, even back when Apple, I bought my original MacBook pro, I think Xcode was five bucks and I've heard a lot of people complain about it, but $5 for an IDE and access to their libraries to be able to do development. I mean, it's could, pretty good. Could the barrier of entry be much lower now, other than free? Now, in all fairness, since I did bring up, uh, you know, Microsoft, like if you want, or not Microsoft, Apple, you know, for if you were going to do development in Xcode, do some Objective C development, and you were specifically trying to do uh, iOS development in order to deploy that to a device, even for testing purposes, you would have to have uh, paid Apple for the, the, uh, developer program in but it's order like to have 99 bucks right it is it's cheap but but my point though is that's still a hundred dollars that you came out of pocket and all you wanted to do was put this app that you're still in development on on and testing you just want to put it on a device and see make sure that it works maybe maybe because you want to work with like physical sensors or you know the actual right. sensors that are in there right uh, for your use case and I, I know with like in the simulators there's some things that you can mimic but not necessarily all so, but just in all fairness, though, there right. is that. But that's still a pretty low barrier to entry compared to what most of the others are. Speaking of low low barriers to entries, I finally made my decision. I say go.net because even $1,000, even $3,000, as far as starting a business goes, in most other industries, other industries, like they would laugh at the table, like, if you want to start a restaurant. Oh, yeah. True. I mean, <laughs> the three thousand dollars is nothing. That'll get you the silverware. You know, if you want to start a paint your own pottery place, anything with any sort of lease or physical space, I mean, forget about it. Like we got it pretty good if we're you know hemming and hawing over ninety nine bucks to start a business that could potentially you know turn well, in into all fairness, the next billion though, you dollar could business. Also, buy uh, Visual Studio without the MSDN, and it's in, uh, a lot cheaper, right? Six ninety nine. I think. Mm, I thought it was like four or five. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Because the, the, the MSDN, the MSDN, 
renewal is like six or seven hundred dollars. Yeah, I think I think Visual Studio Pro is six ninety nine. Okay, six ninety nine. How much of a liquor license will that buy you? Right. Yeah. No, you know, I like, don't even know her. <laughs> oh wow! But it, shh. <laughs> um, thank you. I'll be here as a week. We'll be cutting that. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> oh well, now we have to cut it because you said we were going to cut it. Yeah, we don't have to. We can cut <laughs> my cut. Oh, we have to cut my cut too. <laughs> Wait, uh, I'm lost. How many cuts are we cutting? Right. Uh, anyway but you know if you're a musician you know you gotta buy a guitar but you know i guess i got a laptop and stuff too so i don't know i'm just thinking like you know it's really not that bad if my business starts doing so well that i've got to worry about (laughs) sql server licensing then i'm probably doing something all right well i mean when i went on my rant though that you know yeah that yeah i mean i see where you're going with that but going back to the bigger picture though is that when Ultimately, Alan's goal here was that if you develop something and the idea is that you want it to be able to scale, let's say that it, you know, it, it blows up, it becomes Twitter, right? It's the next Twitter and it needs to scale out. Then now you're stuck into the licensing cost for each of these platforms that you're on. So now that does start to become a big thing, right? That becomes a concern. Yeah, but we're talking bees. We're talking billions for the next Twitter. I mean, Uber is like 8 billion and I, you know, I've never used it. I have. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, well, you're, really you good. Know, you're, okay, fine. WhatsApp is one billion dollars, <laughs> and I don't even remember what it does anymore. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, the cost. So, which platform are you talking about? Though you haven't even like, I don't even know that you've mentioned that. Well, so when oh, I it's first, a desktop app. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, it'd be, no, no. It'd I mean, be like, what, 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 what. Uh, stack are you looking at? So that was the whole thing. Like I wasn't really certain. So I was thinking about doing C sharp and maybe tying in like either MySQL or Postgres because I really don't want to be strapped to SQL Server. Period. You know, it's pretty funny that we just made a bunch of assumptions about the pro- project that you wanted to do yeah. without even asking. So we've we've had all sorts of discussions. We've been talking for like forty minutes about what kind of stack you should choose without knowing anything about the problem whatsoever. Well, clearly he's building a web based iOS app for yeah, his Android <laughs> right, device for my Android device. That's right. Yeah, no, I think so we've got all the bases covered. It is going to yeah. be written in uh, .NET, and you definitely need SQL Server. <laughs> so actually, what but I but that's going to be sharded across Mongo and. And right, you definitely evil. can't use the free versions because they're too right, limited. Right, right, they're too limited. Yeah, no, actually what I was thinking about was essentially maybe doing something with .NET, but tying it in something like, like MySQL and pot- potentially Cassandra. Those were my thinking, maybe. And, you know, there's no reason you couldn't do it. I know those are not typically the bundled things that go together, but I don't know. It, it would be an interesting start, and it, the the cost would be pretty low. Like if you set up an Azure account and and did that, like you'd have pretty low cost. But I don't know. Then then the other side of me is like, ooh, let me play with Node. I mean, it's blowing everything out of the water as far as performance. So ah, screw screw ASP.NET. I'm just gonna do Node server side. Well, I guess though, because you mentioned Azure, but then the the stack that you're talking about, you immediately go into VMs for that. Instead of using, you know, uh, a pre, a predefined you know, the, the components that are already available without having to get into. I haven't messed with Azure enough to really know how they have those yeah. set up that well. But um, <sighs> actually, I say I haven't messed with it that much. I haven't messed with it at all. Mm. So, yeah, I don't even know what their predefined instances are. I know I looked at like their website packages, and I thought they were really expensive for a single website. I was like, seriously, this much per month for one website? So, I don't know. 
again, I haven't looked at all the pricing on any of it, but it's, it's just one of those things like where you sit down and you start thinking about it. You're like, huh, I kind of want to do a project and I kind of want to learn about these new technologies, but it's like we, we've all done, right? We've started a project and we're like, man, there's way too many roadblocks. I'm done. You know, you get into it and you get tired of fighting things because it's not your daily job. It's something you're trying to do on the side and then you're just like, I give. And that's what I don't want to do. But on the flip side, you know, you kind of get bored doing the same type of stuff too. So I don't know. I think it's part of being a program. We're all the ADD to a certain degree, right? Oh, you said you like to refactor until you can't refactor anymore, right, Joe? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, so, there's refactoring, then testing, refactoring, then testing, right, refactoring, right. then testing, refactoring, right. then testing, refactoring, yep. then testing. Refactoring, Have you finished test. anything? You've been messing with Xamarin. Did you finish anything? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've definitely been picking it up just uh, more from an experimentation phase, just l- trying to learn about the technology and how it works and, and some of the uses for it. Because, like I said, I, I've done mobile development on you know, going way back on uh, you know on various platforms but even most recently in iOS but even that's been a, a little bit of time since I've done it but I wanted I, I had some ideas and I was thinking well I really if I was going to bother then I'd kind of like the idea that it's going to be available on any one platform I didn't see the point in only targeting one platform although there's so many reports out there that just say like if you want to make money in any kind of way, it's going to make money on um, the iTunes app store. So target iOS because developing for Android and the windows app store. Yeah. It's great to be there, but you know, they're not going to bring in the same amount of money. And, and that's just the sad state of the way it is right now. Right. And that's if you get found in the iTunes app. Store if you get found the 5 billion apps, I kind of made an now. assumption there that whatever your app might be got found somehow shows up. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you yeah. can pay for stuff like that. Yeah. You could flappy bird it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, so, so, so that's the, the sex appeal of Xamarin though, right? Is that you could write this app one time, in .NET, so you get some really n- nice developer tools. I mean, I don't think anyone has. Well, there is one post on our comment. Uh, shoot, wow, Jim, John, I can't remember that he had some great feedback on why he preferred uh, Java environments over uh, Visual Studio. But you know, I think it's safe to say, like, well, at least in my opinion, Visual Studio is is a pleasant experience to use compared to some IDEs that are out there. Yeah. So, you know, that's nice. And then the ability to target all these platforms with something like Xamarin, you know, there's a lot of appeal there, right? Now, I mean, you do run into your, you have to make sure that you architect that app out so that, you know, you keep the UI very thin across each of the different platforms you plan to target and, you know, basically have libraries for the real meat and potatoes of what's going to happen. But, but even then you're going to run into, um, you know, targeting different, uh, ad platforms. Yeah. For example. Why on earth are you guys even bothering with a UI? That just sounds boring <laughs> and tedious and terrible and not working. Uh, uh, man, you got to come up with an API that you can sell and integrates with, ERP systems and Salesforce and whatever else. Like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> UI, cross-platform. Oh, this is going to server, baby. 
I'll yeah. work on my next WordPress plugin. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in Xamarin to target my Android iOS device. Mm. I could do a REST API. That's that's about as close to the GUI as I'm getting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, oh, I got a question for you. So if we did go ahead and assume that you were building a website in .NET, and this is uh, harkening back to uh, B Siege, uh, Brock, Brock Beat, um, would you build it in MVC or web forms? Never web forms. <laughs> Without question, MVC. MVC, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this on one of the previous episodes, but I don't want something generating my HTML for me. Mm-hmm. Like it's any, changing too fast. Any MVC development that, or uh, I'm sorry, any uh, ASP.NET development that you're doing now is because you're supporting something legacy. Web form, web form. Yeah. This yeah. thing's you know sorry, that's good form. about web you're forms, doing it, but you're doing it legacy. New project? No, man. MVC. Yeah, yeah, I I I want if if HTML six comes out next month, I don't want to have to wait on web forms to catch up. I don't want to have to mm-hmm. deal with all the crud behind it. MVC is the way to go. You have full control of what you're doing, right? Yep. And yeah. I don't know, but screw it all. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that either. I'm doing yeah. Angular. I've been, um, <laughs> I've been doing having to write a lot of uh, custom validators lately for a for a web form web forms project. And the only reason they're custom and I can't just use the regex or the required validators is because I'm using Bootstrap and I want the styles to look right. Yep. And uh, yeah, sorry, uh, web forms. You know, they they had their own opinion on what validation should look like, and it doesn't really match up perfectly with web forms. So I'm writing a bunch of like. Kind of crazy, like go get the parent and set the class on that code. Yeah, that's dude. That, what you said about that you'd used uh, Backbone on mm-hmm. on yours, right? So looking at between that and Angular, the interesting thing, the reason why I went Angular instead of Backbone was because it was the more fully baked. So Backbone's more about the um, templating, if I remember correctly. Yeah, just templating and binding, that's about it. Yeah, whereas Angular has that, but it also has that whole MVC or MVVM type model to it. So you literally have an entire framework if you obey it. Like, you don't have to abide by it, but yeah. So, yeah, going back to that, like, seriously, if I'm doing anything new, I'm probably doing it in one of the newer frameworks. Even I don't even know that I've fully utilized MVC. So. Yeah, I think that sounds pretty good. So, well, that's uh, that was a little just side conversation. Uh, you know, we'll probably have more of those in the future. We'd love to get your thoughts on it. So definitely, you know, go up to the post. This will be www.codingblocks.net/episode seventeen. Seventeen. So yeah, go up there, leave us a comment, tell us what your thoughts are. Um. You know, we all struggle with this kind of stuff. So, yeah, we've heard good feedback about our other water cooler discussions. So, uh, you know, we'd like to hear if you guys are still digging it. All right. And so, with that, let's get into the tip of the week. So, I'll go first. Uh, so, if you're in, this is a Visual Studio specific one, but uh, if you need to delete an entire line, right, rather than having to select it either with the mouse or the keyboard and then delete it, uh, a little trick that you can do is just wherever your cursor is, shift, delete. Line gone. Boom. Wait, what? You don't use the VI plugin? You know, I've tried DD. the VI pl- plugin, and I just I didn't like it. There is a there is a VI plugin. For oh yeah, to, to yeah, map Visual all the circuits? key bindings. Yeah, in Visual Studio to VI. Why, why and and I and I did that for a while, and because I do like, but uh, yeah, I I just I couldn't. This is like uh you know m- mixing your chocolate in with my peanut butter right. kind of scenario. Like I, you I just, don't like Reese's. I I didn't want. 
VI in my Visual Studio. <laughs> the only VI I want in my Visual Studio is to spell it. <laughs> you have to think about that. All right. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of spelling, so, uh, my tip for the week was uh, a new album that came out. And we don't usually do this sort of thing, but I just was really U2. excited about this. It was the U2 album. It was the U2 album. It's already on your phone. I don't know if you haven't bought this yet. <laughs> No, but uh, so I'm a big fan of uh, listening to music while I program. It helps me kind of get in the flow. And so I wanted to mention this album. Uh, it's from Aphex Twin, who uh, hasn't put out an album out in like 13 years. And I like it because it's weird and it's like crunchy and it's synthetic and it's organic and it just helps me get in the zone. And there's no lyrics or anything like that. It just like I put the music on and three hours later, uh, I take the headphones off and um, whatever I was working on is just done. It's This stuff is magic. So. I uh, will have a link to that if you're into that sort of electronic kind of um, programming mood music. Interesting. Okay. Uh, mine is actually about SQL query hints. And we've done a couple episodes like dedicated directly to SQL. But one of the things that a lot of people don't, they're not even aware of, is you can give SQL, the SQL optimizer uh, like in SQL Server specifically, hints so that it knows whether or not you want to lock rows or when you're doing selects or updates or anything like that. So along those lines, there are two things that I wanted to mention. There's with no lock and with row lock. And so with no lock, typically if you're doing a read and you want to make sure that you're not trying to lock anything so that others can't update it so you don't get a dirty read or something, you can do a with no lock and that will keep, that will attempt to keep locking at a minimum on your table so that any updates can still go through without affecting your read. And then the other one is with row lock. And again, these are hints. They can't actually be overridden by the, the, the database engine itself. But with the row lock, typically what you do is if you're updating a particular set of rows in the, in the database, instead of locking the entire, and it's not a table, so there's in locking an entire page in which your data might exist on, it tries to lock just that single row so that it's, it's not blocking an entire table from being able to do reads and other things. So those are two hints that you can provide that will actually help improve performance on your database. Yeah. And like Alan said, we've, uh, we've done a couple episodes specifically on databases already. So if you haven't heard those and you want to go back into the back catalog, you're looking for them. That'd be episode 13. All your database are belong to us and episode 14 databases, the sequel. So with that, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give us a review as well. You know, we've, we've talked about it many times before about how much we really appreciate that. Yep. And contact us with a question or topic. And we've been getting lots of those requests lately, and we really do appreciate them. We will actually address those. Leave your name and preferred method of shout out, website, Twitter, etc., and we'll mention you on the podcast. Also, uh, visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find the show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send us your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And check us out on Twitter at codingblocks.